Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, chief executive here and a proud member. And uh, we're, it's August 21st. You're with a virtual City Club forum live from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream, our public media partner. Big thanks to them. Washington's NFL team is in the process of changing its name. In early July, Cleveland's baseball team announced it is working to, quote, determine the best path forward with regard to our team name. Now, what if in all of these conversations about mascots that rely on caricature and inaccurate imagery of Native Americans, what if in all this time we've been having the wrong conversation? What do I mean by that? Most of the time when this issue comes up, we focus on whether the mascot or name is offensive, in particular if it's offensive to Native Americans. And a 2016 Washington Post poll is often cited as evidence that these names are fine, and a majority of Native Americans surveyed do not find the names and mascots offensive. But what if offense isn't the most important issue? Our guests today at the City Club Friday Forum contend that, in fact, it's not the most important issue and that the persistent use of such inaccurate imagery is actually part of a larger societal problem across the United States. Let me tell you who we have with us today. Crystal Echo Hawk is a member of the Pawnee Nation and a founder and CEO of Illuminatives. As its name suggests, Illuminatives works to educate different sectors of the American public to help transform public perceptions of tribes and illuminate the true narratives of Native peoples. She recently designed and co-led a two-year, $3 million research and strategy-setting initiative called, Reclaiming the Na called the Reclaiming Native Truth Project. Also joining us is psychologist and University of Michigan professor Dr. Stephanie Freiberg. Dr. Freiberg is a member of the Tulalip Tribes. Her research focuses on how representation of race, culture, and social class influence the development of self, psychological well-being, and educational attainment. And Delena Studi is a Cherokee performance artist, activist, and author of And So We Walked, An Artist's Journey Along the Trail of Tears, which tells the tale of a contemporary Cherokee woman and her father who embark on a 900-mile journey along the Trail of Tears to truly understand her own identity and the conflicts of her nation. Before we begin, we acknowledge those of the Shawnee, Miami, Erie, Ottawa, Potawatomi, and Haudenosaunee Confederacy, whose lands we stand on, and the nearly 28,000 Native American people who live in Northeast Ohio today. They are your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, fellow community members who represent over 100 tribal nations. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. Please text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or you can tweet them if you're on Twitter. Just tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them into the program. Crystal Echo Hawk, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg, and Delena Studi, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. It is great to have all of you with us. And uh, I want to start, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg, with you. Uh, I'd like to start with you and your research. And so I laid out this question earlier. Why is the focus on whether mascots or names offensive the wrong thing to focus on? They're the wrong thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. They are the wrong thing because 
There's decades of research showing the psychological harm of using native mascots for native people, native children, but also for intergroup relations between natives and non-natives. Say more about that, please. Well, so if we start at the individual level, so the effect for natives, we know that the use of natives as mascots decreases self-esteem, community feelings about one's community, achievement-related future goals, depression, suicide ideation. I mean, the, the number of psychological costs for Native people are tremendous. It also increases stereotyping of Native people, discrimination against Native people. It also increases discrimination against other people of color. So there's, in terms of non whites. Um, I mean, there's just no benefit to this. And then intergroup relations, it decreases the quality of interaction between natives and non-natives. Why do we focus on this idea of offense, of whether or not something's offensive, when the scientific research seems to point in, in another direction? Well, I think, honestly, it's about justifying behavior. So attitudes are one way in which we've been able to take a very American, very individualist view of this. Um, and then it was just about finding a group of natives to say it was okay. And the use of attitudes really, I mean, we could debate attitudes about native mascots for hours, um, you know, and debate sort of the efficacy and quality of many of the skills that have been completed. Um, you know, we tried to replicate that 2016 scale using a sample twice as big. And even amongst the least identified natives who don't participate in native activities, we could not come up with 90%. That was, so that's the Washington Post poll that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Came suggested that over 90, it was 91% of Native Americans surveyed yeah. were not offended by the use of the, the name that was associated with the Washington football team. Um, and you could not create that use, reaching, over, reaching out to over 1,000 people. Right. So we hired a company to collect data from over 1,000 natives. And so we ended up looking at people who were highly identified with being native, people who, um, there's a term called um, identity centrality, and that's how important being native is to your sense of self. We also looked at another form of identity, which was, um, the kinds of behavior. So it's called a native enculturation scale. And it's a measure of different activities that native people engage in. So it could be things like voting in tribal elections, attending powwows, attending ceremonies. And then we looked at whether you're a member of a federally recognized tribe or not. Individually, all three predict offense. And the higher, so the higher you are, so for example, with um, the native enculturation scale, the more behaviors a native person engages in that are seen as native, the more offended they are, with about two-thirds of native people reporting that they're offended. But when you look at people who were low, the lowest score we got was around 30%. And so we could find no way, whether we looked at reservation or not, youth, elderly, there was just no way to replicate the Washington Post poll. So if so, so if that finding is is likely uh, if it's not re replicatable or replicable, rather, and um, and if we know that the use of the imagery is having a negative impact on the health and well-being 
of Native Americans, and then further for and 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 also a negative impact on other non-white populations, and then the impact on white populations is that. I mean, I'm probably going to oversimplify this, but it, does it just reinforce racism? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's yet another type of systemic racism that we've allowed to go on for decades. I mean, there are so many. If you look at the stereotyping literature, there's 30, 40 years of research that tells us that these behaviors, the fans' behaviors, using Native people, dehumanizing Native people as mascots would have adverse consequences. So even if we hadn't done the work, we could have surmised from the stereotyping and prejudice work that it would have been terrible and problematic. And you can see some real direct um, evidence if you think about blackface versus redface, right? So we have completely socially sanctioned the use of blackface. Right. So it still happens. But now when it happens, the public response to it is swift. But red face, which has very similar characteristics, same meaning, what you see is hundreds of thousands of non-natives dressing up in red face every weekend for baseball games, football games, hockey. Right. And so when you ask the question, like, what does it mean that we can socially sanction it in one place and then condone it in another? It makes no sense. Crystal Echo Hawk, uh, to help people and the listeners uh, more fully understand the impact of these. And I want I want to just sort of lay it out that our, our conversation is going to move from mascots and imagery to the broader context of of um, Native American, of how Native American imagery has impacted Native Americans throughout the country. Um, but could you help us understand from your just your personal experience, what those sorts, the impact that those sorts of images had on you? Well, I mean, you know, every Native American child growing up at some point comes into, you know, these issues around the way that people make fun of us. I mean, just these representations, whether it's people, you know, kind of doing that on their mouth or just, you know, kind of making fun. I mean, Native American children from an early age have to grapple with this because these racist sports mascots, as as Dr. Freiberg said, I mean, they've been condoned <laughs> throughout society and, and, and celebrated and, and uplifted. And, you know, it's, it's really painful. And as a mother, um, you know, of uh, a now nearly 20-year-old daughter, I mean, to watch her journey about how difficult it was for her growing up, right? Being, being Native American, she has a traditional uh, Dakota name, um, you know, a strong, strong Native American name, and, but constantly being bullied and constantly having to deal with these issues around imagery. And very much is, a, is an example of, of the findings from Dr. Freiberg's work in terms of her own struggles with depression and suicidal ideation and anxiety. That's actually what brought me into this work was my journey as a parent to watch the harm that was causing my own daughter. Um, because I think I've always was kind of initially, I've been a, a, you know, I've fought for my people throughout my life and I've advocated for our children and our families. It's been my whole career. And I'd be one of those people that say, yeah, that's bad, but we have bigger issues to focus on until as a parent, I watched the harm that it was causing my own child. And that's, that's what really inspired me to, you know, launch the Reclaiming Native Truth Project. Dr. Freiberg was one of our lead researchers in that to really begin to understand and unpack these issues around representation of Native peoples in society, because in a very personal way, as a human being, as a, as a mother and as a, 
as a Pawnee woman and a, a, a Native American advocate, I was feeling it day in and day out of, of the racism, discrimination, the way that we're kind of minimized um, and we often don't have a seat at the table. And these were the things that I began to really learn and understand and through the science and the research to understand what was happening to our children and that we had no choice but to fight on this issue for mascots. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an issue of political correctness. This is about fighting systemic racism. This is about protecting our children and that all children deserve to be protected, right? And to not have to face this kind of psychological harm. So that's really what led me to get involved and in why, I mean, as we as Native peoples, you know, this is not, I think for so many Americans, when this erupted around the Washington football team, um, and then, you know, with the Cleveland team, you know, shortly right after, you know, making the announcement that the name was going under review for a lot of Americans, this is like, oh, this is a brand new issue. This is just happening right now. Um, this has been decades and decades and decades of, of work by thousands of Native American leaders and parents and children, um, you know, all of this time. And for, you know, the work that Dr. Freiberg has done for well over a decade. Um, you know, and it just really took this moment following the murder of George Floyd to open up this larger conversation about systemic racism and all of its manifestations is what's really now centered this really important conversation. Chris, so I wanted to um, we've I did this is just a moment of transparency, of production transparency, but you need to unmute the mic on your computer so that it goes through on the live so that you're heard on the live stream as well. But keep you're doing fine on your phone and on the, the radio stream has gone very well. But thank you very much, Chris. Okay. Um, but uh, Delana Studi, the can you talk about the origins of your work, uh, your one-woman show? Uh, the origins of my work began here in Cherokee Nation, formerly known as Eastern Oklahoma. I was taught advocacy at a very young age. When I was in kindergarten, my uh, kindergarten teacher during the first Thanksgiving story was talking about the pilgrims and Indians. And when I raised my hand and said I was an Indian, she said Indians were extinct. And so the very next day, my father took off work and went to school and talked to the teacher. And realizing that nothing would be changed unless we change it from the inside, he ran for and was elected to the school board. And so I learned activism at a very young age, especially about how you get into the system in order to break it wide open. And so when I moved to Los Angeles to become an actor, I was very fortunate to team up with Native Voices. It's where I found my home and my community and they helped me develop my voice. And then my first job was doing a one-person show called Kick, written by Peter Howard, that explored the mascot issue. And that's where I met Dr. Freiberg. And I've been doing that show for over 20 years. We've had over 800 performances and reached over a million people. And um, I can say because of that work, uh, we were able to get into activism. So we worked on a lot of assembly bills in California and Wisconsin. And we eventually got the California Racial Mascots Act passed. But during my time at doing that work, I had death threats. I was spat upon. It was, I had people tell me that they were more native than I was, or they knew more about native people than I did, and that their tribe was better than my tribe. And that was non-native people speaking from behalf of their schools that had native mascots. That almost, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I know. The so the so that piece of legislation in California, I think Ohioans are probably most Ohioans are probably not familiar with it. Can you explain what it what it accomplished? Well, in 1998, LAUSD, so the Los, Ange Los Angeles Unified School District, eliminated all racial mascots from their public schools. Um, in, in 2017, <laughs> several years later, after many attempts, we were finally able to pass the California Racial, racial Mascots Act 
which basically eliminates the R word from uh, mascots in California. We're still fighting to eliminate all racial mascots. We, I believe no person, no living being, no ethnic group, no race should be used as a mascot. And um, I'm really fighting for that. And it's something that's, and that's, as Crystal said, people have been fighting for this for decades. This is not a new issue. Stephanie Freiberg, uh, to, returning to you for a second, um, the how many, when we, we think about this, it's often, the focus is often on these professional sports teams, but um, alongside of professional sports teams, you have colleges, universities, and public school districts, and independent schools as well. Uh, how, what does your research tell you about how many schools and, and entities are still using racialized mascots like these? So I, I don't do that kind of work. I'm really a social psychologist, but I know that NCAI does, the National Congress of American Indians, and I believe we're still over 2,000 Native mascots in the country. 2,000. It's an intense number. Uh, Crystal Echo Hawk, uh, returning to you for a moment. The the use of these. I'd like to. I'd like you to explain a little bit more about the the Reclaiming Native Truths project, and um, and what you see happening right now, particularly how it fits in with this moment since George Floyd's killing of kind of racial reckoning that's happening across our nation. Yeah, uh, well, really briefly, the Reclaiming Native Truth Project was a project that um, I, I founded and co-led um, starting back in, in 2016. It was a two-year project, um, and really what we what we looked at, it was a $3.3 million research project, but we really looked at, you know, what are the, the, the kind of dominant perceptions that Americans from all kind of walks of life have about Native peoples, and, you know, what are those perceptions, what are those sort of dominant narratives um, that exist out there, and how do they shape not only the way that people think, but what is the impact on Native peoples? What is the manifestations of those perceptions, um, and, and why do people have those perceptions? Where do they come from? And, um, and really, as we, we looked at this project, and again, Dr. Freiberg was one of our, our lead researchers, we found some key things, and one of the biggest things that we found was that invisibility is like the greatest, one of the greatest barriers that Native people face in that there's a profound erasure of Native Americans happening in today's society. And so, for example, we found that 78% of Americans know little to nothing about Native peoples. And according to Dr. Freiberg's research, um, you know, 72% rarely or ever encounter information about Native peoples. And as we you know, began to get in and learn you know, from research done by others, um, uh, including Dr. Sarah Shear, that nearly 87% of schools in the United States don't teach about Native peoples the past 1900. Um, you have uh, also, you know, in Dr. Freiberg's work as well, like upwards, I believe, like 95% of images in Google, right, if you typed in Native American, are going to be images of, of pre-1900 Native peoples. And so really, in, in short, what we found is that in terms of modern society, Native Americans don't exist really in the minds of Americans, um, and they're not even sure if we exist anymore, and we're certainly out of sight, out of mind, and that really, you know, and again, I keep quoting Dr. Freiberg, but, you know, really what her findings were that invisibility is the modern form of bias against Native peoples, and the small slivers of representation that do make it out of Native peoples today are these just very problematic, racist, you know, harmful tropes, whether it's, you know, sports mascots, 
or sort of, you know, in TV and film, our representation is less than 0.04%. Um, and of that sliver of representation, it's, it's largely problematic. It's either pre-1900 or just showing us as alcoholics or magical, mystical Native Americans or over-sexualized Native American women. Um, and so we really began to understand as we began to move our research and understanding that those perceptions inform the way that Americans not only think about us, but the way that we're treated. Um, and we found really disturbing ways in which, you know, that influences judges, you know, the decisions made in the federal courts to how decisions are made in Congress and other parts of society. And so, again, these aren't issues of just political correctness, right, perceptions <laughs> and what we believe in our, in our minds, whether it's an implicit bias or explicit bias, really impacts the decisions in the way that we treat people. And we see that this, you know, really the invisibility and these toxic stereotypes and things like sports mascots really fuel bias and racism against Native peoples. And so when we look at this moment in this country where we're having a reckoning around systemic racism, we need to understand that that racism manifests itself in all kinds of ways, whether it's in police violence against people of color, including Native peoples, but in other ways in which, you know, you have more systemic racism and institutionalized racism in this country. If you're just joining us, uh, we're having a conversation with three leaders and uh, national leaders and researchers and activists and actors and artists and, and uh, all they play all sorts of roles. Uh, three women who are all Native American talking, we're using essentially these conversations, these national conversations about the use of mascots as an opportunity to think more broadly about the role of imagery in American consciousness today. Crystal Echo Hawk is founder and CEO of Illuminative. Dr. Stephanie Freiberg is with the University of Michigan. She's a social science professor there. And Delena Studi is a writer, activist, and artistic director of Native Voices at the Autry Museum of the American West, and uh, a one-woman performer as well in, uh, in several shows. Um, and Crystal Echo Hawk, do you have, having worked on this for as long as you have, do you have optimism now that you haven't had before? Does it feel like we're in a different sort of moment? We're absolutely in a different moment in this country. I mean, and it's it's crazy. It's, I'm almost speechless that it took the murder of George Floyd, right? And this national conversation, this, this, this catalyst of this moment that we're in um, to really begin to center this conversation about systemic racism and, and to really understand the way that it impacts the lives of, of, of Black people all over the country, but Native Americans and, and, and people of color all over this country. Um, and I think we're in a really unique moment. I think when when the surge happened that, uh, around the Washington football team and to see that quickly happen, to see the Cleveland baseball team do the right thing and put this under review, uh, you know, immediately and some of these conversations are now happening in, in many different levels outside of sports mascots. I think that I do have a lot of hope. Um, I think we're in a really new and different moment and there's no going back. And I can tell you that as Native peoples and, you know, with Black and, and, and people of color all over this country, enough is enough. And we need to really have these conversations about what systemic racism is, how we address it, and that, you know, we need a, a new norm, a new norm of which this is not about condoning things that are harming people because of the color of their skin. So I, yes, I do feel very hopeful. Delena Studi, do you share that optimism? Absolutely. 
And you can see it in Los Angeles in the industry. Uh, we have a lot of new TV shows that are coming out that, be, that are being written by Native Americans, that are being produced by Native Americans, that are starring Native Americans. And that's always a step in the right direction because representation does matter and it's important for our youth to see themselves on stage or on screen and to know that their culture is valid and that their voice is valid. And so that's what we're trying to do in Los Angeles and across the industry. But I do believe that we are on the right path. I believe that we are realizing how to become allies to each other. And I believe this current situation has allowed us to amplify our voices and realize how strong we are when we stand together. Stephanie Freiberg, as a, a researcher um, who has been focused on this and in particular on the power of of representation and narrative and, and imagery, a piece of this has, in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, as well as Columbus, Ohio, uh, racism has officially been declared a public health crisis. And that mirrors uh, similar declarations in other places around the country, which strikes me as, uh, as Brian Stevenson would say, it, it is changing the narrative, right? It is, it is a new story and it is a narrative in which I think uh, people who have been oppressed are seen and their, their narrative, their story, is now being reflected in policy. Does that have the potential, do you see that having, even the declaration, even the words themselves, as having an, the kind of impact that you want to see? I do. <clears throat> I still think there's some work to do, and I, and I just want to reiterate, yes, I, I absolutely feel like we're on a good path, but one of the ways in which we've undermined the issues in America is that we've made race about certain groups. Some groups get discriminated against, others don't. And we've created a situation in which it's, we're, we're all sort of fighting for someone to pay attention. And I think the problem is, is that racism is not about black people in America or indigenous people in America or Latinx people in America. Racism is about the person who holds those beliefs <clears throat> and the systems we have in place that uphold them. And I think the shift around the George Floyd murder in this country was a huge narrative shift about racism. Before that murder, the people insisted that it was about a few bad apples, so to speak. You know, there were people who were racist, but everybody else was fine, which ignored the way in which racism was built into the system, the ways that communities of color experienced poor schools, less resource schools, less quality health care. Um, I mean, there's been so much wonderful discussion in the news through the Democratic National Convention, you know, people trying to really speak up and say what it means that we don't see the system and understand that when we look at COVID-19, for example, right, there's some recent research suggesting um, that Native people are 3.5 times more likely to both get COVID-19 and to die from it. Um, and I think this is really important because you might think it's something, if you think it's about individuals, then maybe our systems are just not as strong, we, we, our constitution. But in fact, what we know is it's tied to bigger issues, access to healthcare, access to um, testing, um, you know, some of, there's just so many bigger issues. And so I think as we start to build solidarity amongst groups, that's when we really start to make a difference in the system. And we make changes that can impact schools, the media, 
um, the legal system, and that's absolutely what needs to happen. Stephanie Freiberg is a professor of uh, social transformation and university diversity uh, and a professor of psychology as well at the University of Michigan. It's a lot of different titles you have, Dr. Freiberg. Um, She's, it's okay, no, no need to apologize. I apologize. Crystal Echo Hawk is also with us. She's founder and CEO of of Illuminatives and Delana Studi, performer, writer, activist, and artistic director of Native Voices at the Autry Museum of the American West. They are our guests at your City Club Friday Forum this week. If you would like to join us with a question, please text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or if you're on Twitter, you can tweet it at the City Club, and we will work it into the program. A question I'll throw out to all of you uh, that came in. We related to a question we just asked. Since Cleveland City Council declared racism a public health crisis, shouldn't they and Mayor Frank Jackson call on the Cleveland Indians to change their team's name? Who wants to take it? Crystal Echo Hawk. I think we all say yes. <laughs> Everybody should be calling on the team to change the name. Um, but absolutely. I mean, you know, that is such a powerful pronouncement. And really, a, you know, again, as Stephanie's saying, like, this is a huge shift in society in the way that we're beginning to really understand and look at, at racism um, and to really, yes, understand that racism does impact health. <laughs> Right. And you have racism that has long um, unfolded and in all kinds of ways associated with the with the Cleveland, you know, baseball team and looking at some of the behaviors. And it was a great step in in retiring Chief Wahoo. Um, But let's let's get it all done. Right. And I think everybody, um, the mayor's office, the city council, um, every citizen right um, there should be really stepping up, saying the time is now. Right. We have an opportunity to to really be on the right side of history. Dr. Freiberg, there are some people listening right now who are probably asking themselves, what's wrong with the word Indians? Aren't we honoring Native Americans by and their and their spirit by naming a team, you know, that we hope will win, you know, after, you know, after their people. So can you unpack it for us? Well, first of all, you know that all the native tribes from Ohio have been pushed west. So the Cleveland team is not named after a particular group of natives. Number two, when we put a native as a mascot, you're essentially lowering us to the level of a bear, a husky, a wildcat, right? So so we're moving into a realm of equating us and dehumanizing us with animals. Number two, or number three, sorry, I can count. Um, (laughs) Number three is that you're setting up a situation where you're allowing the public to play with our identity. So, you know, often people say, well, isn't, you know, it's just a sports mascot. And I think um, Crystal alluded to the idea that, um, you know, we think we have more important things to deal with. Um, even Dan Schneider made this comment. He talked to tribes, and the tribes said they have more important issues than the mascot. It's true. We do have more important issues than the mascot. The problem here and where we're missing the boat is that every one of those bigger problems is tied to our identity. And so if you can mock our identity in public, it's also then easy. You've dehumanized us. Then when five, six hundred Native women go murdered and missing every year in this country, no need to pay attention, right? We're less than human. When 80% of Native women are experiencing violence at the hands, 80% at the hands of non-Natives, and we can't prosecute them, 
eh, dehumanization. Don't have to pay attention to that. When our children experience the highest dropout rates, right? This is about our life opportunity. And when you dehumanize us every weekend on a playing field, you do long-term harm because it affects how our kids as teachers see them. It affects how our children interact with people in society. Um, I spent time, I was an undergrad in Ohio, and you know, people said thing to, things to me in Ohio that were shocking. Like I was a kid from the reservation. I grew up in my tribal community. And when I got there, there was a person who said, did you have to buy new clothes to come here? Another person said, oh, I didn't know Native Americans went to college. Like these are real comments that are happening in real time. And when you locate us as pre-1900 people, the problem is our contributions today, our accomplishments today, the, what my children see when they look out in the world is invisible to them. And it's our job as native people who many of us have privileges, right? Like we have great jobs and we have opportunities to be a voice for our communities. It's our responsibility to make sure that we do better for our children. So that when my kids go out in the world, they don't have to deal with these false narratives about Christopher Columbus or this false narrative around Thanksgiving or, you know, questions about that have been mocked and mimicked through sports mascots. It is important that we as a society do better and that we take out the ways in which we have systematically dehumanized Native people so that we can start to protect Native women and girls, so that we can start to investigate what is happening in the cases of murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. We must do better. Like our population is rising, it is not decreasing. We are one of the fastest growing groups in America. We are not going anywhere. And our tribes and our communities are making tremendous changes for the environment, for our communities. We're leveraging change. You know, I think more and more we are going to take that stand and we have come together as a people across tribes, across communities to demand better. And I think this is one step and that Cleveland is having this conversation is so important. In many ways, it makes me feel like the city is joining us in this effort to do better. And I appreciate that and I value that. And I'm thankful both to the city, to the fans of Cleveland, that they're considering the idea of being advocates for contemporary Native people. Delena Studi, you look like you have something to add here. <laughs> well, no, I, it's, I completely agree with Dr. Freiberg, and honestly, I could listen to her and Crystal speak all day and just be in awe, so thank you both. Um, but I always think about the mascot issue as, as what Stephanie was saying. It keeps us in the past. It doesn't let people see us as a modern, thriving society that actually contributes to America. It's a part of our shared American history. And for me, it really hits home because I am the first generation in my family not to go to an, an American Indian boarding school. My father is an American Indian boarding school survivor. He was a first, or he is a first speaker of his language. And he went to a school where they tried to beat the Indian out of him. And so in order to protect me, my father withheld information from me because he didn't want me to suffer the same experience. And when I think about all the things that have happened to our people and how we've fought so hard to keep our language and our culture alive and then it's used as someone's game they use it to play pretend and it was something that was taken from us that up until 1978 we weren't allowed to practice our own religion or our ceremonies and yet 
they go out on a football field or a baseball field in the in the costume, not the regalia, but the costume, and they play Indian when we weren't even allowed to be Indian. And that's what really hits me hard. We have fought so hard to be here, and I'm very grateful that communities are actually listening right now and they're wanting to have these difficult conversations and they're reaching out. We want you to do that. We know these conversations are hard. We know the questions are awkward, but we need to have these conversations. We can't hide from them any longer. And it's wonderful to feel like they're actually listening to us. And this is going to sound terrible, but we've been fighting this issue for 30 years, actually longer than that. And even if the city of Cleveland doesn't come to see our way, we will keep this fight. That's what we do. We are resilient people. America has tried to get rid of us so many times and we are still here. And as they say, we are not going anywhere. There's another question from the audience. Can any of the panelists answer why we have teams and mascots named after native people in the first place? That's a Dr. Freiberg well, question. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's a Phil Deloria question, but I'm happy to do my best uh, Phil Deloria interpretation. I mean, it really comes back to history and what it means to exist. So if you look at settler colonialism, it's really about the relationship that colonists, when they come to a new land, have with the original inhabitants. And so uh, it's rarely the case that they come and say, oh, let us, be, let, let us join their culture and be part of them. That's never how it works. It's usually about eradicating. And there was a tremendous effort to eradicate Native people on this continent. Um, I mean, I've seen numbers from, there were 15 million Native people in this continent when settlers first arrived, or I'm sorry, the colonists first arrived and tried to settle here. But now, you know, we're looking at 1.5 million. At one point, we were less than a million. And what happens is if you can't get rid of them, then what you try to do is erase them. You put them in reservations, you, you set them off, and essentially you erase what they have done today. And so a lot of what we are talking about today is when you do that, you also create these narratives that allow you to feel good about your history. And so there's tremendous scholars, um, Shanita Loma-Waima, Teresa McCarty, um, who have written about how schools have become these identity-safe zones. So we only want to teach the history that makes American children feel good about who they are as American and not feel bad. And so what we do is we tell history as though it started after a certain day, rather than recognizing the ways in which it's really part of the system. It's part of that process. And so playing Indian is essentially what people are doing. Like when I was a child, the NFL had um, the, the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington team played on Thanksgiving. Then there was a point when people were like, mm, you know, that's really not cool. Like that's not. And so they changed it, but didn't actually get rid of those the, the team or really the diaspora that's created by playing Indian in those ways. And so it's really about playing Indian. It's about getting to, to embrace a narrative of positive representation. Um, and we do it in so many different ways. And you know, one of my most frustrating moments in schools with my children has been around Columbus Day and Thanksgiving 
right? Those are false narratives. They are designed to allow Americans to feel good about the, their relationship with Native people, ignoring the true atrocities. Christopher Columbus, one of the most brutal colonizers in history, um, I mean, didn't land on this continent, let's be clear, but the Tayano people who experienced his brutality, he was jailed in his time for the atrocities that he committed. And so Thanksgiving, I refuse to allow my family to do Thanksgiving. My children don't know Thanksgiving. We don't celebrate it because once you learn the true history, Thanksgiving was designed to celebrate feasts around the death of hundreds of native people. And so, you know, the reason mascots, it's just one more way to play Indian. That brings to mind, um, well, there's a lot of questions and it's, um, and the, the challenge it presents is really significant, but this next question may help. Uh, this, cam, this comes from a listener who's on Twitter who writes, I'd love to ask the panelists how non-Native people can be allies. What actionable steps can we take to help end the use of racist mascots and raise the positive profile of Native Americans? But beyond that, I mean, I think beyond that, I mean, is it, if, if I continue as a, as a white male, if I continue to have a Thanksgiving celebration with my family, am I like, am I being the worst ally ever? Yes. Sorry, that's my opinion. Um, I mean, I'm just going to jump in, Go jump ahead. in and say that, you know, being an ally means you have to hear our voices and you have to lift them up. You have to recognize that there are like the you have to embrace the true history between natives and non-natives, and you have to be part of no longer allowing this invisibility. So, you know, native people are very bothered when people talk about racism in America and then don't mention native people, right? It, it's more of that invisibility. Um, one of my favorite politicians in the DNC did this historical recounting, I'm not gonna name names, of the history of racism in America, and then ended with blacks and slavery. But there, there was another group, and you can't talk about racism in America, you can't talk about that history and not acknowledge the group that was here and who has paid this price in land and lives and you know well-being and so it, it's essential that if you want to be our allies do not allow the invisibility rise up with us and give our people voice hear the narrative we are asking you to tell recognize the contributions we're making to contemporary society you know, one and a half of every hundred people in this country is Native. And that should mean something. But until we rise up and allow our own voices to tell the more accurate, the more true story, we're going to continue this romanticization and very much not going to have good relationships between Natives and non-Natives. Crystal Echo Hawk, what additional actionable steps? Well, I mean, I think, you know, to build on what, you know, Dr. Freiberg just said, I mean, we, we need our allies to stand shoulder to shoulder with us, but they, they need to listen. I mean, and I think that's really what the moment has been for so many people as we've gone through this reckoning over the last few months is that part of this is listening. It's learning. And it's really taking cues, right, from, from leaders, from, from Native peoples. And, you know, right there in Cleveland, <laughs> you have, you know, this amazing group of, of Native leaders and an Indigenous coalition that's been organizing for this name change. And I think that take their lead, 
right, and take their lead in what they're asking for, which has been about, you know, not only changing the name, but this meaningful consultation. And I think, you know, we need, we need again, allies to stand shoulder to shoulder with us. Part of that is just creating the spaces and platform past the mic, right? We don't need anyone to speak for us. It's about elevating. It's about that visibility that, that, you know, Dr. Freiberg was talking about and really, you know, I think in, as all of us are moving in different spaces, whether, you know, we all, we all go to work, we work for companies, we work for nonprofits, we, you know, show up in different ways in, in our lives. And I think it's just really looking at those opportunities about, you know, as you're moving through, how do you create space? How do you create space knowing that there's these issues of invisibility? How do you create space for education by Native people, you know, about contemporary Native peoples? How do you look at the policies within your institutions, um, right? And how are they perpetuating erasure and discrimination and, and other things? I mean, I think it's really, there's so many things on such even a micro level um, that you can do to be a good ally. Lena Studi, you have worked uh, a lot on as an activist and advocate, specifically on legislative change, and I'm sure that, that that's a, a an area, a sphere in which a lot of our listeners are kind of comfortable, like writing letters, emails, and making phone calls. Talk a little bit about what allies can do. Well, first off, know whose land you're on. I believe that you need to know who occupied your land before you, who were the original inhabitants and then find those communities and find out how you can help them, how you can amplify their voice, what you can do to serve them. And honestly, when I first moved to Los Angeles, that's what I did. I'm Cherokee. My people are not from Oklahoma. We are pushed here. We're currently on the land that once belonged to the Cato, the Kickapoo, the Osage, the, uh, the Ocheche, uh, Sokoan, and now the Cherokee are here. And it's a very complicated history, but know whose land you're on, find out. Find those natives, find out what's going on in their community and how you can help them. It's all about having these conversations. It's also about acknowledging the past. And just by acknowledging the past doesn't mean that we're holding you responsible for what your ancestors did. That's not what that means. It just quit trying to hide what really happened on this continent. Quit trying to erase our history. And because when you erase our history, you also erase our future. Well, and also, I mean, there are models the the history of the United States, the history you refer to, is is the history of the entire United States. It's not just the history of the victims. It is the history of the victimizers and 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 those who perpetrated the the atrocities. Um, but there are models too around the world um, of nations who reckon appropriately with their past. Germany is is really known for memorializing very publicly. It's its past. Stephanie Freiberg, I know that you haven't studied that in particular, but as a psychologist, as a social scientist, what impact can those kinds of reparative memorials and statements and public dialogues have um, for for bridging these, these divides that have been created? Right. I mean, it's an essential part. So what I mean, one of the things we learned from Germany is that doing that work actually led to other positive benefits. So we think it sounds terrible to own our history, but it is true, like the old saying that when you forget history, you repeat it. It's so true. Right. When you think about what's happening on the border with children in cages, like you you go back for me as a native woman whose grandparents were both put in boarding schools like we have a long history of removing children from their parents but only children of color black children 
on slave blocks. Like there, we have a terrible history and when we don't learn from it, we then continue to do these horrific things. And there's just no way that you can rationalize those injustices. You know, that young, I mean, I, I'm always astounded to realize that, you know, as a parent of, I have a young boy who's very brown, very native. Like, I will always have to worry about what it means for him to go out in the world and be pulled over or, you know, come across someone who thinks about him wrong. And people don't realize that this is what black and brown parents worry about all the time. Undoing this work, the mascot is part of systemic racism. It's a dehumanization of native people. Really, in this country, we have to do better. I mean, if we, we're not going back, we're not ever going to be a white, predominantly white country. All of these groups are growing at a faster rate. And so we truly have to embrace what it means to do diversity in this country. We have to. And I think Germany showed that you can do it, you can learn from it. And yes, people feel bad, but that history was there anyway. But people also can take pride in the fact that we're learning and moving forward. Crystal Echo Hawk, are there narratives that are closer than we realize, perhaps, of reconciliation, of truth and reconciliation commissions and the like? I guess I'm not understanding your question. Well, are there narratives? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think the, the, that there are... I, I'm grasping at, at a story that I think I know of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was established in Maine um, to uh, to to repair the damage of the past and to and and it was a very local effort um, in one town with one uh, with one native group, um, but I believe you know had a tremendous impact on that on that place, um, and it just strikes me that there are there are real opportunities here. Um, that this isn't this is this is a this is a tough news story, but it's not an entirely bad news story. No, and it you know there there's so much. I think there's like this focus right now that somehow people are taking stuff away from us, and we call it cancel culture and and all of this. And there is there is so much joy to be found in healing. And when we can really have this moment of where where we can really just see where harm has been created, there's also salvation within that for, for both sides, right? For us to be able to move forward and to have that moment. And I think that there's such a bright future and a joyful future and a future where all of our children, right, can feel loved and celebrated. You know, I cried yesterday. I have to say this. I was, I was going through my social media and there was a Native mom on social media yesterday and she said that her eight-year-old came to her as school's going back in session and we got all the stuff around mascots. And she said, her daughter said, mom, I don't want to be native anymore. I just want to be normal. And I just, this is why we do our work. No child should feel that way because we're constantly these, these caricatures. And I just, you know, on the flip side, going back to your question, there, there is, there is good for all in making these decisions and for confronting racism head on in all of its manifestations. Right. And for us to understand how it affects all of us <laughs> um, and, and, and what's on all of the potential and the good that's on the other side of this. And so I get excited for cities like Cleveland. Right. And not only for the team, but the city itself to really gauge in a, in a process of 
reconciliation and healing and really dreaming what that means on the other side in terms of how a community can come together at a time when in this country we're being plagued by not only, you know, the, the, the crisis around COVID-19, but we are in a crisis of racism. We're in a crisis of division. And I think that these are all bigger things that it's, it's so easy for us to take those steps to come together and make it make a change. This comment has just come in from Twitter. What a powerful discussion today about Native American culture and the use of related degrading imagery in sports. The three speakers' eloquence has moved me to tears. These are the important conversations needed to move this dear but fragile country to a higher place, um, which is really lovely. So thank you all for contributing to that. Delena Studi, your... um, your work is based on uh, some of your work is based on the actual testimony, words, uh, you know, in oral histories of individual people. Um, it strikes me that this moment in time, with the country grappling uh, for you know grappling with all of these issues, creates a new another opportunity to be collecting material for another piece about the dismantling of the mascot economy, if you will. Um, what's next for you? <laughs> oh, what's next for me? I have several things that are happening right now. Um, I, I'm currently writing. That's what I've been basically doing is now I'm, I'm a playwright. And so I've been commissioned to write a few plays. I have a play that just opened for theater for one that deals with Native American and voting and the importance of and the significance of voting. And um, of course, I'm the artistic director at Native Voices and we will be we will continue to devote ourselves to developing indigenous playwrights and making sure our voices are heard and really elevating their voices across the United States and hopefully globally. Um, and then of course, I also do, I'm the chair of the SAG-AFTRA National Native Americans Committee. And so part of that process is how do we con- create contemporary roles for our people and avoid these stereotypes? And how do we get a native in every room? Uh, you know, don't make anything about us without us. And um, so that's what we're working on. We're trying to really show people that we are still here, that we are still thriving, and also at the same time, we're telling our own stories. And I think right now it's very important for Native people to write their own stories. Um, I believe Therese Mallett said something along the lines that if we would have had one Native woman write a story about the pandemic before, then we would be so much better right now. That one voice would have helped us survive the next pandemic. And so I think it's very important that we write our own histories and that we start sharing those stories. And it's also very important that people don't rely on books for their information about Native people. We are still here. We're your primary source. Go to that community. Go to the tribal headquarters. You know, trust our oral histories. Ask for those. You'll be amazed at what you'll learn from the elders. Mm. Well, there are also a number of wonderful books by by Native authors as well. Um, the uh, we are getting close to the end of our hour with all of you, and I just want to thank you for your, your candor and your honesty, for your work, for your willingness to, to discuss it, and, um, and for your, the challenge that you've offered to the community of Greater Cleveland and to Ohio to, to do better. Um, so I, I thank you all, Delena Studi, Stephanie Freiberg, Crystal Echo Hawk. It's been wonderful to talk with all of you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Crystal Echo Hawk is founder and CEO of Illuminatives. Dr. Stephanie Freiberg is a professor at the University of Michigan, where she teaches psychology and social transformation. And Delena Studi is a performer, writer, activist, and artistic director of Native Voices at the Autry Museum of the American West. 
I want to thank also City Club member Cynthia Connolly of the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Ottawa Indians who helped us bring this forum together. Fittingly, as well, our forum today is also the Karen Faithwit and A.H. Weinstein Memorial Forum on the Persecution of Peoples. We thank them and their families for a generous contribution to our endowment. Thanks also to members, sponsors, donors, and others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. You can find out more about them and how to join them at cityclub.org slash thank you. Next Friday, August 28th, we will talk with Cleveland State University President Harlan Sands about plans to safely bring students back to campus during the pandemic. And if you have other ideas about topics or speakers we should feature, please get in touch. You can find out more at cityclub.org. I'm Dan Malthrop. Please stay strong. Please stay healthy. Please wash your hands, keep your distance, and wear a mask. Thank you for doing that. And stay close in your hearts if you can't be close in person. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.